0: Uh, If you've got God's Word with you, can you open it to John's Gospel, John chapter 1. We're going to continue uh, from where we were this morning. I appreciate that uh, some of you uh, might not have been out with us this morning, and uh, some of you might have had a chance to catch up online, and some of you might not. Uh, But let me encourage you, if you haven't heard this morning's message, uh, at some point to go back and to watch that and to uh, retrospectively pick up. Uh, on where we were, but John chapter 1, I'm going to read the first five verses of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it amen this is the word of the lord and we pray that god would speak to us as we unpack it this evening particularly focusing this evening on verses three uh, through to verse five you know it was interesting when robbie and uh, said, this is going to be our, our last service uh, in this building for a little while for the foreseeable future in the light of all that's uh, going on with coronavirus. Somebody said that. I, I smiled because I've got a habit of, of sort of uh, preaching messages that are the last ones in buildings. Uh, I was in North Kelvin Parish Church many years ago. I was preaching, this is true, in the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16. And just as I said, there was a massive earthquake. A huge chunk of masonry <laughs> fell out the ceiling. And uh, following that, Sunday morning, they put screwdrivers into the pillars. They discovered the place was riddled uh, with dry rot. And uh, they put stickers up in the building. And that was it. Sure, close for business. They met in the back hall, and they knocked down the old red sandstone building that was the church. Now, I'm sure that's not what Robbie meant, Right when he said that this is the last time we're going to gather, uh, you know, at Hamilton. It's just for the foreseeable future uh, in this building. But please go again to what I was saying this morning uh, in those opening two verses, because I'm convinced before God that the situation we find ourselves in is a situation that is absolutely uh, critical— but it's absolutely essential that the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of. And there's a gospel context to absolutely everything. And as we unpack the rest of these verses, these three verses in John uh, chapter 1, what we're going to discover is that there's a gospel context to absolutely everything. Uh, There's a gospel we're thinking this morning about the eternal Jesus. And what we're going to think about this evening for a little while is the eternal Jesus in all his creative power. And you and I know in all his recreative power, in the way in which he is able to make all things new in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so, as we look at that uh, this evening, we're going to uh, think a little bit about the gospel context. For everything. You know, we live in a culture, we live in a society uh, that likes to perpetuate uh, a little myth. The myth society likes to perpetuate is that somehow or other Christianity and science are opposed to one another. That's just a myth. Uh, Christianity and science are not opposed to one another. Very often, uh, society wants to consider that they're incompatible with one another, and they, they then set up uh, a rather flawed argument that somehow or other you and I need to choose between them. In reality, the clash is not in science. The reality is that the clash is really a clash of worldviews. Do we see things through a human understanding, or do we see things through what God has declared through what God has spoken, through what God has revealed, through what God has made known. And when we continue our studies here in John one, uh, really what we are dealing with is the Christian worldview. What we're dealing with here is the declaration of God. Now I said it this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm not a scientist. I'm a uh, when it comes to creation. Uh, I see God's hand in all of it, uh, and I want to honor and glorify Him uh, in the midst of it all. But Don Carson uh, has got a beautiful little series uh, entitled The God Who Is There. Some of you are going to have some time in your hand, so you can probably find that in, in YouTube or whatever. We actually give. Uh, all of our members in the life of the church, a little thing called Right Now Media, uh, where they can actually tap into uh, all of those resources. And uh, Don Carson's little series, uh, The God Who Is There, uh, is on that. And I mentioned this morning that when you read John 1, 1 to 5, you immediately start in your mind thinking about Genesis 1 uh, and about the early... Uh, verses of Genesis chapter 1. And I want just tonight, as we think about a gospel context for everything, uh, to think about that just for a few moments. John Carson, uh, summarizing Genesis 1, says this. He said, there is more ambiguity in the interpretation of the opening chapters of Genesis than many Christians realize, for it does contain both history and symbolism. That's a, a very humble uh, place for a man with deep biblical convictions to begin. But he also turns around and he says, there is more ambiguity in the field of science than many scientists recognize. For many of the top believers, uh, top scientists are themselves believers. Uh, I've had the privilege of working a couple of times with John Lennox, and uh, John Lennox would actually uh, label the new atheist, Uh, that very often comes out of uh, many of the atheistic scientists. He would label it as scientism uh, rather than science. And uh, I don't know what you make of intelligent design as a scientific theory, uh, but there is also uh, a version that is inescapable, and that is that the irreducible complexities of our world demand a designer. Of course, the danger of that theory uh, is that you end up with the, the gaps and you end up uh, reducing God. And uh, even uh, many unbelievers can marvel the wonder that is there. So, Carson, and really in that series, uh, he's drawing on the early works of Francis uh, Carson says this of Genesis 1, uh, and we link it to John 1. The irreducible minimum is this that in the opening chapters of Genesis, we find out some things about God, we find out some things about human beings, and we find out how it fits into our lives. And so when you and I turn to John chapter 1, in the light of what's been said in Genesis chapter 1, and we read verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Where do we go with that? Well, what we find is this, that John is making a simple, a bold, a powerful, a truthful declaration. He is saying that the eternal Jesus is the author of absolutely everything that is created. And that sits comfortably with all uh, that we read uh, in Genesis. The eternal Jesus is the author of everything that is created. That's to say that Jesus is the originator and the source of all life. And that you and I in the light of the biblical revelation, are made in His image. Now, I go back to what I said this morning, for those of you who were here, uh, that uh, we are friends of the living God. Jesus, in His redemptive work, gives us the right to be known as His friends, because we are those who do what He commands. He in verse 3 John is simply saying that you and I are made in his image we are creatures made in his image now as creatures you and I will share some common genes with other creatures but what is unique to mankind is this that only mankind is made in the image of god only mankind is made in the image of Jesus. And you and I, therefore, we share some similarities with God, but we also share in some very profound differences. What do I mean by that? You see, the Bible says that you could be holy as God is holy. That's something that's in the character, the nature, the personality of God. And yet, God in Christ says that you and I are to live holy lives that glorify Him. In actual fact, the aim of all gospel ministry is that we might present all believers mature in Christ, that they will be holy as God is holy. And so, you and I, in actual fact, made in the image of God, you and I can be holy as God is holy. But you and I cannot be omnipotent as God is omnipotent. And you and I cannot be omniscient as God is omniscient. And you and I cannot be omnipresent as God is omnipresent, despite the fact that sometimes when you look at lead pastor profiles, there's an expectation that somehow or other they should be everywhere all at once, right? Uh, The reality is, none of us can actually do that. We are made in the image of God, we share some of the attributes of God, we can be holy as He is holy, but there are many things which are different about us and God. So, John wants us to know, John wants us to understand that the eternal Jesus, who was his friend, and the eternal Jesus, who is our friend, by repentance and faith, he is the source, he is the origin of all creation. You know, one of my uh, leaders in the life of the church, Alan, uh, is one of these kind of like uh, mental mountain men. You know, the type, the outdoor types, you know. I mean, when you hang about with Alan, you you feel your own lack of health uh, in his presence, you know. He's one of these guys who, uh, you know, scales mountains, but waits until all the snow is there, and the ice is there, and he puts kind of like big ice things in his shoes, and he he climbs up the face, you know, with pickaxes and all that sort of stuff. He runs uh, triathlons and kind of whatever the one is where they kind of multiply the triathlon several times in order that you can do. I mean, it's just that. head case, right? Uh, But, you know, he does all that. And one of the places in which he, he worships and glorifies and adores God the most is when he's out there in the incredible creation that God has made. Now, remember, this is our friend. There's a gospel context for everything. Jesus, the friend of sinners, is the originator, the source of all creation. Now, some of us who are uh, less inclined, uh, we, we still enter into the same experience. We, we go for a beautiful walk. Uh, we go where it's gentle, where the terrain is good and the views are pleasant, right? Uh, and even there, uh, we find ourselves, as it were, uh, taken in by all the wonder, by all the beauty, by all the majesty of all that Creator Jesus uh, has done. That's what I mean by saying I'm a psalmist and not a scientist. I see God in all that surrounds me. You know, there's an old hymn Aye, and there's a little line here that I, I had to go on, and I would half the line, and I had to go on this afternoon just to get the whole of it. Heaven above is softer blue, earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. You see, there's a gospel context for everything. The way we look at our world, If we look at it and think somehow or other, this is just all an accident, a freak of nature, or we look at it and we see the eternal Jesus at work, crafting, shaping, molding, making, speaking, and a world comes into being, then suddenly the words of that hymn, love with everlasting love, in actual fact, take on new meaning because even something as simple as a walk is transformed because of the gospel context. And that's what we find here uh, in what John is writing when he says all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, if we understand these things, then our enjoyment of all of creation is multiplied many times over. Isn't that something beautiful? That the very world in which we live, the enjoyment of it, is multiplied many times over when we recognize that creation is proclaiming the lordship of Jesus, the vastness of the stars, the galaxies. They speak to us of the greatness of Christ. We walk amongst the wonders of our world. We don't fall down and worship them as some do. We instead worship the God who made them. We instead exalt Jesus. We know the God who sustains them. Now, look more closely at verse 3. The text about the creative work of God is stated uh, both positively and negatively. He says that all things are made through him, but he also said that without him, nothing is made that was made. So, there's a kind of positive and a negative statement of the same truth. Stephen Hawking said this, the eventual goal of science is to provide a single theory that describes the whole universe. Now, I would never even begin to acknowledge that I could understand some of the things that that mind tried to get around. But when I read that conclusion, the eventual goal of science is to provide a single theory That describes the whole universe as a born again believer in Christ, as one who is under the authority of Scripture, as one who hears the declaration of God in what He reveals about Himself. I want to say, I want to cry out, I want to shout out: the theory is not a theory; the theory is a person, and that person is the eternal Jesus. So, what we're looking for and what we're searching for to explain the whole universe, John explains to us in one line. He says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, I know that many people want to say, but how was it made, and how did it take place? And, and they want to get into all the minutiae of the details. I'm here tonight simply to declare that the Christian worldview is that God in Christ made it, that He is the originator, the source. He holds all things together. He is sustaining all things, and He invites you and I, not a theory, a person, the one who is behind the whole universe, Invite you and I to be his followers, to be his disciples, to be those who worship and glorify and adore him for who he is, the eternal Jesus. Now, John's got good reason for making double statements. There were many views uh, around at that time that uh, God created out of existing material. That's not new. <laughs> There are many of today who want to suggest that God created out of existing material. But John is in harmony with the Genesis account, because what John is saying is he creates out of nothing. What John is saying is that everything is dependent upon him. Everything has its origin in him. See, here's the reality those who live without christ don't realize that they were created for dependence on him those who have come to a place of surrender to christ realize that we can do nothing without him i'm entirely dependent upon jesus and i don't want to be in any other place Do you know, when I was uh, a young man, uh, a a young boy, uh, I, like any young boy, uh, had a number of passions. Uh, Football and cars were two of my passions. I had the privilege of coming out against one or two guys from this church in the football field uh, at a later stage. Uh, But at that stage, uh, I uh, I, I was passionate about football. And uh, just a- after the age of uh, eight, eight and a half, uh, playing lots of football, I, uh, I started to develop a limp. I started to walk with a limp. And uh, as I started to walk with a limp, I, th- I realized there was something wrong. And uh, as we realized something was wrong, I-, I was brought up in the school that something better be wrong, or your mother or father will give you something to be wrong about. They, so I, I, you know, started to walk with a limb, but I was also uh, into drama and a bit of a mimic. And so my mother said, you're copying that disabled girl that passes by your house every day. Stop it. I said, I'm not copying Indy. Yes, you are. Stop it. I'm not copying it. Yes, you are. Stop it. Then eventually she said, I'm going to take you to the doctor's. I remember going in the bus with my mom to the doctor. I hope there's something wrong. Because <laughs> you know, I, was, I was actually more afraid of not being anything wrong and the consequences of that than in something wrong. And I remember going there, I remember getting to the, getting to the doctor's surgery and the, the, the doctor kind of doing what he does and various other bits and pieces. And then turned to my and I think you should sit down. And I'm thinking, yes. <laughs> what? Right. And then, and then he said to me, he said, uh, Mr. McKinney, and he said, uh, I think your son's got a thing called Perthes disease. Uh, basically, it's a little waist between uh, the leg and the hip. And uh, he said, "I think he's probably going to be two months in hospital and a year to two years in crutches." Well, my mother's like, "She's a I'm like, "Yeah, I think, right?" And so it was uh, that in actual fact, I ended up. I, in hospital for two months, I separated my three siblings and my parents, I ended up with crutches and a caliper, and my leg up behind my back, and I became very good at this. But the reality is, I was in crutches for just over two years of my life. And then I had to start to learn to walk again, and start to learn to use my muscle again, and start to build everything up. And they said he won't play football, and I defied that, and he won't swim, and I defied that, and he won't do it. In fact, I played football while I had crutches. Uh, I I get found out. Your sins will always find you out. Uh, I played right through the whole season for the boys' brigade uh, with three legs, and And, uh, what happened was that the prize-giver gave a special award for a guy who'd played all season, and my mother didn't know I'd played all season, and uh, that cost me dearly. Uh, But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I I, I knew what it was to live with And I remember many years ago uh, doing a university mission, uh, and a person just saying to me, You know, you're just dependent on God. You're weak and you need crutches. And I said, my friend, you don't understand crutches. He wasn't expecting that answer. I said, but let me tell you about crutches. When you can't walk through your freedom, and you delight to be dependent upon that which sets you free, I am utterly dependent upon Jesus, and I delight to be dependent upon the one who sets me free. You see, God is at work in Jesus. There's a gospel context for everything. And those of us who are familiar with the biblical revelation will be aware of the fact that after creation comes the fall. And that image that you and I were made in the image of God is marred. And so the good news of John 1, 1 through 5 is that John stays with the Genesis motifs. And what he does is he declares that the Jesus who is the origin of all creation is the origin of light and life as well. And His light and His life shine into the darkness of all of our marred image, of all our sinfulness, and of all our shame. And His light and His life shining into all of that are able to transform when we learn what it is to become dependent upon our Creator. You know, when John uses uh, the phrase life, he always uses it in a spiritual sense. Whenever you, uh, you read of life through John's gospel, and you'll read about life and light and love many times if you go through John's gospel, but he always uses it in a spiritual sense. And the life of Christ it, it is not uh, only all that which is physical as the Creator, but in actual fact, the life of Christ is all of that which is spiritual as well. And you'll find as you go through John's gospel, that when you take the basics of living for ourselves, light, air, water, food, all of these things in John's gospel find their expression in Jesus. When you go through John's gospel— You'll find that he's described as the light. He's described as the life. He quenches our thirst. He's the bread of heaven. The Spirit breathes into us. No man can come to the Father except through him. Jesus with Nicodemus, born again of the Spirit and of water. And so all the way through it, what we're actually finding is that Jesus— is the absolute basic essential for all of life. He's the creator, he's the sustainer, he's the giver, and he himself is all of these things in their purest, in their most holiest form. Everything wraps around Jesus. What I discover as a as I go through the Scriptures, and as I go through John's Gospel, is God gives to us a Gospel context for everything. And uh, when we are thinking this morning about being in a relationship to Jesus, what we realize here is that God, in sending Christ, the one who is life, the one who is light, is making it possible for us by complete dependence upon him to enter into all of life in all its fullness. That's why later in John 10 verse 10, he says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, destroy, but I have come that you might have life, life in all its fullness. There's a gospel context for everything. Human beings owe their very physical existence to Jesus, but it is only as we repent it is only as we put our trust in Him that we can be made alive spiritually. Human beings, whether believers or unbelievers, owe their existence to Jesus. But we can only be made alive spiritually when we learn what it is to become entirely dependent upon Him. You know, it is the nature of light to illumine. It is the nature of light to shine forth. It is the nature of light to dispel darkness. And ever since the the world uh, fell, ever since the fall of man, this world had been characterized by darkness. We've been immersed, in the evil, in the corruption, in the wicked rebellion of man. We've been groping about trying to find our way, trying to find our hope, trying to find light at the end of the tunnel. But along comes the One who made all things, the One who is light and life, and the darkness vanishes, because in Him we see what it is to be made alive. Jesus as light brings true knowledge. Jesus as light. That true knowledge acknowledges that He is Creator God. Jesus as light uh, brings moral purity. Only He can cleanse. Only He can forgive. Only He can cancel out the debt of sin. God, in all of His grace and mercy, in the eternal Jesus, is shining the light of the world, the whole of the Old Testament, and in the new, come together. They converge brightly in all the glorious attributes of Jesus. So, when John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning he was, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines into the darkness. He's saying, here is the cosmic gospel context for everything. God is making himself known in Jesus. I said this morning, there's a gospel context for where we are as a nation right now. It's an opportunity for God to be made known in Jesus. Verse 5, the translators have struggled to fully interpret. In the ESV, it says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Other translations have said, the world cannot accept the light. The world cannot appropriate the light. The world cannot put the light out. John Calvin said this. He said that in man's perverted and degenerate nature, some sparks still gleam. It's what Paul was writing about in Romans 1, where he talks about the general revelation of God but moves through his letter to the special revelation of God. Man is a rational being. He's different from all of the other beasts, but the light in man, because of the fall, is clothed in a dense ignorance. We cannot work our way to God. We cannot understand Him on our own, we require the full revelation of the life and light of the glory of God as it comes to us in Jesus Christ. And that, of course, is why John writes his gospel. John wants us to know a couple of basic and simple truths. He wants us to know there is a God And this God is the creator of all things, and this God is the creator of you and of me, and you and I are accountable to him. John wants us to know that he's the creator of all that we can see and of humanity itself. He wants us to know that it's this God, the creator of all things and of humanity, that we've rebelled against. And more than anything else, he wants us to know of God's gospel context, that only the eternal Jesus can illumine our hearts. Only the eternal Jesus can switch on the light of understanding. Only the eternal Jesus can bring us to that place where we say, And because I believe, I enter in to all the joy of life eternal with the eternal Jesus. And you know something, we live in a world where there are those who've got a Christian and a biblical worldview, and there are those who've just got a human and an atheistic and an anti-God worldview. And I want to say something, that that anti-God, atheistic, humanist worldview will never put out the life and light of the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And the desperate need of man is for Jesus to overcome the darkness of our heart, and of our mind's understanding, and to bring us to that place where we believe in Jesus. And so there's a sense in which we close this evening where we were this morning. There is a gospel context for everything. When you and I look at the world, the Jesus of the gospel made it. When you and I look at the sin of mankind and the rebellion of mankind, only the Jesus of the gospel is able to bring life and light that can shatter that and remove that curse. When you and I understand that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, then we realize that everything is left out in the light of the gospel. Whether the creation of the world, whether the day-by-day going-ons of mankind, life is only life. As the Bible would describe it, when we're in a relationship to Jesus. In the midst of a real fear in our society of sickness, of illness, of death, we are the people of the resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life, said Jesus. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. How can this be? Because the eternal Jesus deals in an eternal life. Is that what we believe? Do we believe in the unseen reality of heaven, or of hell? Do we believe in that? If we do believe in that, and we're convinced about this, then surely we ought to be a people who are prayerfully sharing, communicating, making known, declaring the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview. God is the Creator. God is the life and life giver. Come to Him. You need to upon me. It is only in dependence upon Jesus that you can There's a message for our world today. There's a message for our society in the midst of all its apprehensions, in the midst of all its fears. There's a message that's not new to you. But perhaps what might become new to us is the degree to which we start talking about it to unbelievers. I found that God's people love to talk about this message amongst themselves. Perhaps what might become new is the degree to which we might talk about it to unbelievers. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the eternal Jesus who is over all of creation. We thank you that he is the God to whom every person will give an account. But Father, we realize even as we say that, even as we pray that, that there are many in our world who may not fully understand nor realize this because we ourselves as your people have been silent. And while we can glory together in the praise of your name about the light and life of the gospel, help us to be those who would be bold enough, who would be brave enough, who would be willing enough to speak, of your life, and of your love, and of your light to others. May this season that we're entering into as your church be a season in which we speak more of you to our unbelieving family, to our unbelieving neighbors, to our unbelieving friends, to our unbelieving colleagues, As they speak to us of uncertainty, may we speak of the certainty of the God who is in control of all things. As they speak to us of their fears, may we speak of the God who in perfect love casts out fear. As they speak to us of their worries and of their anxieties, may we speak of a relationship to the God who exhorts us to be not anxious in anything, but in all things to come before you in prayer. Our gracious God, we thank you that you are able to lift us in your word to gaze upon the beauty of creation, and then for that beauty to be superseded with the infinite beauty of Jesus. We thank you that everything has a gospel context, and we pray that we might enter into this season in the life of our church with the burning hope of the gospel on our lips and in our hearts and leading in everything that we do and say we might be those who point others to Jesus Christ our Lord. May you be glorified in the weeks and months that lie ahead. May in the midst of all of the uncertainty, countless numbers of people be saved. Might they discover that God is the Creator, that He's for them and not against them, that in Christ Jesus, He sheds light on our darkness, and in Christ Jesus, He brings life, life forevermore to those who trust in Him. For your sake, for your glory, jesus be exalted and answer our prayer amen